12. Revelation 6, verse 12. Amen. Let's all stand for the reading of the word, please. Revelation 6, verse 12. Amen. Thank you. Verse 12, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, today for your awesome presence. We ask, God, that you bless your word today, the reading of the word of the Lord. God, we ask that you would inspire us to declare it, preach it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And everybody said, in Jesus' name, you may be seated. Amen. Praise the Lord. When you come to the sixth seal, this sixth seal takes you all the way up to the second coming of Jesus. Now, I know we've got a lot left in the book of Revelation to look at. In Revelation chapter 19, that's the actual coming of the Lord. But when you get to this seal, what you need to understand is that this covers the whole tribulation period. Okay, the latter part of the tribulation period. Does that make sense? Okay, and when you start with the first seal, what is this seal that's being opened up? It's on that scroll of Revelation chapter 5. We saw a scroll that was sealed with seven seals. And so he began to open each one of those seals, which brings us to the sixth seal that was on that scroll. Each one of those seals, as they are being opened up, represent approximately one year of the tribulation period. So when you get to the sixth seal, then basically you're covering, you're moving to the latter part of the tribulation period and those events that will bring in the coming of the Lord. And I know it sounds strange because you're way back here in Revelation 6, but I'm going to prove it to you by the word of the Lord, okay? Now, when you have this sixth seal opened up, basically what happens here when this sixth seal is opened up actually happens underneath the seventh seal. I don't want to confuse you, but it happens, actually happens under the seventh seal. What we have in the sixth seal is a summary of things that are going to take place. Now, if you look at chapter 6 and the fifth seal, please open your Bible and look at it with me. The Bible says in verse 9, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Notice the fifth seal doesn't give us the action. It just shows us the results of the seal that's opened up. When you get to the sixth seal, it's very similar. It gives you a summary of events that cover all the way to Revelation 19. All right? 
It takes you all the way to the second coming of Jesus and his pouring out of his wrath at the end of the tribulation period. Okay? So again, let me read it to you so you can kind of gather your thoughts around this passage. In verse 12, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heavens of heaven fell unto the earth, given even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll, when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the chief captains, the mighty men, every bondman, every free man, hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath. This is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is post-tribulational. It's after the tribulation. So this takes you all the way beyond the tribulation period to the time of his wrath. The second coming of Jesus and to the battle of Armageddon. For the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? Now, <clears throat> I'm going to read to you a little, little brief statement out of a commentary by E.W. Bullinger. This commentary is on the book of Revelation. Although I do not believe most of what he says about the book of Revelation I do agree with what he says on this particular seal now <clears throat> E.W. Bullinger is an old scholar he lived uh, between 1837 and 1913 so you know with time you get people have more understanding of truth but this particular area of the Word of God here's what he says about this seal okay in this sixth seal we are carried forward to the time of the end the seals as we have said are a summary in brief of the whole period of the tribulation that's what we just shared with you and as the former seals correspond exactly with the last great prophecy of Christ in Matthew 24 so this sixth seal also has its place in that chapter okay so he, he lets us know, and he writes, and he says that the seals of the book of Revelation cover the whole, really, let me just put it this way, cover the whole book of Revelation. They take you all the way through almost the whole book of Revelation to about the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation. But they're in chapter 6. Okay? Uh, here's what he goes on to say. He says, here the great convulsion of the sixth seal is clearly foretold. We say convulsion because the word seismos means much more than a mere earthquake as the context clearly shows. There is to be a convulsion of the nations which is spoken of as distinct from that of the heavens and is to immediately precede the revelation of Christ. Immediately precedes the revelation of Christ or his second coming. And the glory of the temple, which would be a reference to the kingdom. Okay? So, that's some scholarship right there. That's the way they saw this also. But let's go to the word of the Lord, and let's see if this is true. Matthew 24, let's go there. Matthew 24 parallels the, uh, these seal judgments here. Matthew 24, we're going to start there in verse 29. Now, if you were looking at the book of Revelation from a pre-tribulational viewpoint, which means you believe the rapture takes place 
before the tribulation period, you would say that these six seals are all bunched up at the beginning of the, of the tribulation period. Okay? And because these six seals are called the wrath of God, or the six seal specifically, the six seal specifically is called the wrath of God, then because you see it bunched up at the first part of the tribulation period, you would think the church is out of here before the seals are open. The six seals specifically at the front part of the tribulation. I'm trying to show you these seals are not as this chart shows you. This chart shows you all these seals bunched up at the first part of the tribulation period. These six seals take you all the way through the tribulation period where the sixth seal takes you to the end of the tribulation period. The seventh seal includes the seven trumpets. The seventh trumpet includes the seven bowls of wrath. So you have to scoot all of this to the end of the tribulation period and beyond it. Okay? Matthew 24, 29. Remember the signs we just talked about that he just spoke about in Revelation 6 there on the sixth seal. 24, 29. <clears throat> Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. When does that happen? After the tribulation of those days. Go back to Revelation 6. Hold your place in Matthew 24. Go back to Revelation chapter 6. Verse 12. And I beheld when he opened the sixth seal, lo, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair. The moon became as blood. The stars of heaven fell into the earth. Even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. The heaven departed as a scroll when it was rolled together. And every mountain and island were moved out of their place. Okay. So again, Matthew 24, 9. Immediately after, after the tribulation of those days. Shall the sun be darkened. The moon shall not give her light. The stars shall fall from heaven. And the powers of heaven shall be shaken. There it is. It clearly tells you that that sixth seal is post-tribulational. It's after the tribulation. It is not before the tribulation. It's after the tribulation period. Do you understand? Verse 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So the sixth seal is showing you what's going to happen under the seventh seal. And it happens. These seals happen just before the coming of Jesus. And the coming of Jesus is after the tribulation of those days. Okay? So the Bible makes it very clear. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. And there's the rapture right there. That's when the Lord raptures his church. He gathers us upward, episonago, which means to be gathered upward unto himself. That's where the church is gathered. First, Corinthians, uh, First Thessalonians talks about our gathering together unto him. Episonago, gathering together unto him. It is post-tribulational. Not pre-trib, post-trib. Okay? And the majority, of course, the majority of preachers and pastors and churches today will teach you pre-trib, but it's not in the Bible. <laughs> it's not in the Bible. Okay, so do you understand what I've showed you so far? Amen. Let's go to 2 Peter 3. 
See, I can tell we're, we're treading new ground here because you're very quiet. You're being showed things that you're not normally showed uh, as far as timing of events. 2 Peter 3, 7, watch what he says here concerning the heavens and the earth. Uh, but the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness. But his long suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, into which the heavens shall pass away. Revelation, that sixth seal, shows you the heavens departing as a scroll. Right there, it's connected with the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. So Jesus' rapture. Or, uh, some people say the pre-trib rapture is as he comes as the thief in the night. You know, there is a book out called Thief in the Night, and it's written by a pre-trib author. Okay, and they will tell you that when Jesus comes as a thief in the night, that he's coming to rapture his church out pre-tribulational. The thief in the night, according to the Word of God, is when he comes in the day of the Lord, and the day of the Lord is post-tribulational. Okay. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. And the elements, elements, say elements. The ordered arrangement of things. Which doesn't just mean the the natural elements, but it means belief systems. Paul talks about beggarly elements concerning the law. That's an ordered arrangement, a belief system. So what he's talking about passing away are not just the physical elements, but they are actually belief systems that are not God. Okay? Are you with me so far? I I can't make it any plainer than this. I can't make it any simpler than this. What God is doing in Revelation 6 in the sixth seal is going to take place literally. It's post-tribulational. It announces the second coming of Jesus. With me? But it also has to do with rulers and powers and religious systems that are going to be destroyed. An ordered, arranged system of belief is coming down. Okay, do you understand? Kingdoms are going to be shaken and brought down. The natural creation, the sun, the moon, and the stars are going to be seen as shaken and and not shining. They are symbols of world kingdoms and world powers and world rulers and religious systems. They are elements. An ordered arranged belief system. Beggarly elements. You understand? Okay. I'll give you sometime read Galatians uh, 4 and verse 3. In fact, let's just go there because I can tell I'm already in water here. I'm in water here. Deep water here. It's called, I don't believe <laughs> what you're telling me. I have preconceived ideas. <laughs> yeah, see, that's the problem. Okay.
4.3, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. And he's, link, he's linking this to an ordered, arranged system of belief under the law. Okay, verse 9. But now after that you have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days, months, times, and years. You want to go back under the elementary teachings of the law, the ceremonial law, and you observe days and times and years. I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. He's telling them that he's take, we are now in the fulfillment of those things. And for you to go back under those things, you're going back under the beggarly elements or an order to reign system of belief that is in the past. So when it says the elements shall melt with fervent heat, he's talking about an ordered, arranged system of belief. Although I do believe it's literal. There's more to it than that. Amen? Okay, let's go to Hebrews 12. So what do you see? You see a mighty convulsion that takes you all the way up to the wrath of God the second coming of Jesus and he gives you signs that precede his second coming and they're post-tribulational he talks about that it's connected with the day of the Lord in 2 Peter 3 there it's connected with the day of the Lord did I read all that passage? 2 Peter 3 okay get Hebrews 12 let me make sure I covered that passage with you Hebrews 12 just turn to Hebrews 12 and hold your place there you can do more than one thing at a time, which most of you can. Then let's go over to verse 10, 2 Peter 3, 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening under the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to the promise look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Amen. That passage doesn't tell us that we're going to be, be, be out of the earth pre-tribulational and we don't have to be concerned about the tribulation period. It tells us to be very observant of what's going on in that time. Hebrews 12. I pretty much proved that last week. I believe that the church will be in the tribulation period by the Word of God. Not by my opinion. By the Word of God. Hebrews 12, verse 12. Or Hebrews 12. Let me get the passage. Not verse 12. It's Take us too long. Let's go and let's look at verse 25. Hebrews 12, 25. See that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth. Much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised saying. Yet once more I shake not the earth only but also heaven. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken 
as of things that are made that those things which cannot be shaken may remain what's going to be shaken all the kingdoms of men as a result of that's what's going to happen wherefore we receiving a kingdom his kingdom is going to be set up the true God's going to be seen Wherefore we receive in a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Okay? Go to Haggai 2. Old Testament prophet Haggai. Haggai 2. Let's start there with verse 21 in Haggai. Okay, Haggai 2, verse 21. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. You see that? I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down. Everyone by the sword of his brother. This, this takes me right into the battle of Armageddon. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, this is really awesome stuff because what you have is prophetically in pattern in the Old Testament what's going to happen in the future. Even the days of Zerubbabel, okay? But the, the, the point I'm trying to get across here is that God's going to shake kingdoms and set up His. So go back to Revelation 6. All right. And so the Bible says when He opens the sixth seal, when you read Revelation 8... The seventh seal is going to be open. When the seventh seal is open in Revelation 8, those first few trumpets are going to show you the events that are recorded under this sixth seal. Okay? And when the bowls of wrath are open, which are in the seventh trumpet, that takes you into the wrath of God. The wrath of God is post-tribulational. When you talk about the worldwide wrath here, when he comes back in, in, in the day of the Lord type judgment and he judges the wicked and saves the righteous, that's beyond the tribulation period. So that the bowls of wrath are located in the seventh trumpet, but they are after the tribulation period. Amen? Mm -hmm. And the Bible talks about a great earthquake under the bowls of wrath. So I'm trying to show you here, and I think it's kind of hard for you to get a hold of this, that what we have is a summary here in this last seal of what's going to happen all the way to Revelation 19. Why are you looking at me in unbelief like that? I just showed it to you in the Bible. I showed it to you in Matthew 24. I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> and I'm not going to fall out with you. But it's in the Bible. Matthew 24. Let's go back there and see something. Matthew 24. 
Verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. When does that happen? After the tribulation. What is Revelation 6 talking about when the six seals opened up? Events that happened after the tribulation. The sixth seal, though, so basically, let me bring your thinking here. The sixth seal is, is approximately in the, from the sixth to the seventh year of the tribulation. We're moving to the end of the tribulation period in the sixth seal. Okay? <laughs> I'll tell you, this is good stuff. This is good stuff, man. When you look at this, then, let me just get into this. I'm just going to jump in here instead of trying to, to uh, persuade you. I know that's impossible. But let me just jump in the middle of this thing. What you have here then is the events that show you immediately preceding the second coming of Jesus. They are post-tribulational. And they are connected with also his wrath which is post-tribulational. Now there is the wrath of God that is, is uh, in a, a local area in Jerusalem. In what is called the great tribulation period. The last three and a half years. There is a seven year tribulation period that is divided in half. Three and a half and three and a half. The last three and a half years of the tribulation period is called the great tribulation period. It's called Jacob's trouble. It is when God pours out his wrath upon the nation of Israel. Jerusalem specifically. At the end of the seven year tribulation period then. When Jesus comes back. The bowls of wrath are poured out. That's when the wrath of God is poured out on the world. But it's post-tribulational. That's when he pours it out on the Gentiles. All right? You with me up to this point? And so the sixth seal here tells us it announces the wrath of God. It announces the worldwide wrath of God. It announces the day of the Lord, which is the judgment upon the wicked and the salvation of the righteous. Okay? And what you see happening here is this is a decreation of the old. So that the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth can come in. Old kingdoms, the old heaven has to pass away in order for the new kingdom of God and the new heavens to come in. Now in a sense, in the spirit, we've already entered into the new age. But in an ultimate sense, it will come in a literal sense when Jesus comes back. In wrath and judgment brings the kingdoms of this world down whether they be religious or political whatever he's gonna bring them down set up his kingdom show himself to be the true ruler and the true king so in this passage then in the sixth seal what you are showed here is a summary of how God is going to bring a decreation of events about he's showing you how he's going to remove an old creation to bring in a new creation and if you were to take your time, and I don't have it this morning, take your time to read Revelation 6, 12 through uh, verse 17, you will find that the order of the events that take place and what God does when he judges the old creation is exactly in the order of the old creation in Genesis 1 and 2. Read it. It talks about how God created this, how God did this, how God did this, how God did this. And this same pattern is followed right here in Revelation 6. Seven things, seven, seven cataclysmic events. Seven things that are going to bring about a convulsion in the earth and in the heavens. And they are a decreation of what happened in the old creation. They follow the events exactly. So you can't miss this. That 
this is not just about natural things, but it's also about spiritual things. Let's look at the passage. The Bible says, he opened the sixth seal. No, there was a great earthquake. Say an earthquake. Or literally a great convulsion. Now, when you go back, Jesus, this happened when Jesus was hanging on the cross. In fact, Jesus, all these six seals, the trumpet judgments and the bowls of wrath were all located in Christ upon the cross. He fulfilled all of them. When Jesus hung on the cross, the, star, the sun turned to darkness. The sun went out. The light went out when he hung on the cross. What is that showing you? That there's a new ruler in town. His name is Jesus. And that the old rulers are, are being darkened. The earthquake is connected with his resurrection. Yeah. So what you have here is you have. When Jesus died, was buried and rose again. This was fulfilled in a sense in his death, burial and resurrection. And what it's saying is that he's the new ruler. In John 12 he says now is the judgment of the prince. Now is, no excuse me. Now is the judgment of this world. Now is the prince cast out. Now is the evil one cast out. Let's go there. Let me show you what I'm talking about. John 12. See I can't, I can't sit here where you are in your thinking. I've got to get you where I am. I can't get down there where you are. If I do that I'm, I'm not going to accomplish anything this morning. I've just got to go with it, get what you can, put it in your sack, you know. As I sit here, get down there and sit down there with you, I'll be here all day and never accomplish anything. Verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. When's the world judged? Now, Jesus said. He said that in his lifetime. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And if I and if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. So Jesus, when he died on the cross, when he was lifted up, the earthly rulers were judged. Satan was judged at that moment. But then Revelation 6 talks about cataclysmic events, a decreation of the old. When God comes back, sets up his earthly kingdom. That's a future event. So everything in the future is linked to the finished work of the cross. What I'm trying to show you is that it's not just a convulsion of natural things. But it's a convulsion of earthly things. It's a convulsion of, of religious belief systems. And the ordered arranged system of man's thinking. When you talk about the heavens apart as a scroll. You're talking about a realm in the spirit. There's a change taking place. Okay. Let's go to Acts 2. Let me, let me show you some more of this. <clears throat> Acts 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and, by, and hearken to my words. For the ears are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it's but the third hour of the day. What has happened? They just got sealed with the Holy Ghost. They got sealed and filled with the Holy Ghost. 
So you're sealed by the blood and you're sealed by the Holy Ghost. When you talk about the seals in the book of Revelation, you're talking about the power of Pentecost. And what happened at Pentecost? For these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it's but the third hour of the day. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Now when you talk about a young man and old man, we're not talking about natural age here. Joseph was a young man who had dreams. These are spiritual fathers and spiritual young men that are affecting the universe for God. They are anointed by the Spirit. And by that anointing of the Spirit, they are shaking kingdoms. That's why when you get to the end of Revelation 6, the next chapter, chapter 7, you see the question in chapter 6 is, who is able to stand this? In Revelation 7, we see people who are able to stand. They have been raptured in chapter 7. Because chapter 6, the latter part of it, takes you to the end of the tribulation period. In Revelation 7, you, have see, you see a raptured, sealed people. So you have the sealed judgments, and then you have a sealed people in Revelation 7. Then in chapter 8, you have seven trumpets. And at the end of that, Revelation 12, you've got a man-child, a corporate people. Revelation 14 again talks about the 144,000. 144 is the number of the overcomer. 1,000 is the glory of God. So they are the overcomers who have the glory of God on them. And so when you get to the end of the seven trumpets, you then again have another 144,000. When you get to Revelation, come on, are you with me here? Revelation 18 in the seventh trumpet, you have seven bowls of wrath. The seven bowls of wrath are primarily focused on Babylon. The trumpets are primarily focused on the beast of Revelation 13. But when you talk about the, bowl, the bowls of wrath, their primary focus is the bringing down of Babylon. The destruction of Babylon. And following the destruction of Babylon, then you have what? A people who is a city. And the Bible calls them the overcomer. So chapter 7 we see an overcomer. Chapter 14 we see an overcomer. And chapter 21 we see an overcomer. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls of wrath. Three segments. Showing you what God is doing. He's bringing in the new creation. Hello new creation of God. You are the new creation of God. Hello heaven. Heaven is not located geographically altogether. Heaven is located in a person. Heaven is in Christ Jesus. Ephesians. Hello heaven. You are seated together with. In heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. So heavenly places are located in Christ Jesus. So you've got to understand that what's happening here is not just natural. There are spiritual events that take place at Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And outpouring of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost when you got sealed by the Spirit. And right now, you are a first fruits group of people. That God has raised up a sealed people. An overcoming people. That God is going to use to shake 
kingdoms. Now go back to again Acts. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Of what? The kingdom of God. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above. And watch this. And signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness. And the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. So he links what happened on the day of Pentecost with the future day of the Lord. Now, I don't want to confuse you. But when Pentecost took place, it was a day of the Lord type experience. In this sense spiritually. Because when Pentecost came in. Come on. The Bible said the sun was turned into darkness. The moon into blood. Before the great and notable day of the Lord come. I got news for you today. When he poured out his spirit on the day of Pentecost. There was a new ruler seen in the heavens. The moon was turned to blood. The Bible said the sun was turned to darkness. Physically, literally. We're talking about spiritual things. Physically, literally in the future. But it happened way back then. Hallelujah. Genesis talks about Israel. Natural Israel. Twelve, twelve, the twelve stars represent natural Israel. Come on, are y'all with me here? The moon represents mama. Right? Sun represents the dad. What am I trying to show you is this. God took his covenant out of natural Israel. And he brought it into a new creation. I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you you replaced Israel. I'm telling you concerning natural Israel. God judged natural Israel. The sun went out and the moon went out. And the power of Pentecost came in. He brought in a new creation family. He brought in the church of the living God. And anybody... Whether you be Jew or Gentile makes no difference. You still got to come into the kingdom through Jesus Christ and His finished work. You don't get in this kingdom by natural birth. He took His covenant out of natural Israel. Mm. It's located in Jesus. He is the covenant. So what I'm trying to show you is there's a new ruler in the heavens. There was a decreation that took place. When he died, was buried, and rose again. And then when he poured out the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, he brought in a new creation people. Are you getting the point here? And at the end of the tribulation period, he's going to come back and set all that up literally. And then those people, that first fruits people, are going to be seen standing with him on Mount Zion in Revelation 7. That's the rapture. So what I'm trying to show you is that, that when you get to that sixth seal and that in Revelation 8, that eighth, that seventh seal is opened up. What you have is all these events that he continues to talk about in the book of Revelation are just giving you more details about the events. Are y'all getting the point here? Give God some praise. Go to Joel 2. 
Hallelujah. Joel 2. See, there's, there's a decreation taking place, man. Why? So his face can be seen. So his face will be revealed. He's got to bring down the heavenly host. He's got to bring natural rulers down. Do you understand that they worship the heavenly host in Old Testament days? So the heavenly host pictures you, uh, pictures false gods being judged by the Lord. Do you understand world powers in history were called by heavenly names? Suns and S-U-N and moon, etc. Do you understand that? Okay. Shake your head. Say praise the Lord. Let me know you're awake. I am. Now, now, just hang in with me. Just hang in here with me. Now, Joel, watch this. Joel. He quotes Joel in Acts 2. And Joel, let's go to Joel chapter 2. Praise the Lord. Help me, Jesus. How many of y'all love the Lord today? Isn't that the way? Isn't that awesome way God had it set up? You got the seals, then you got a first fruits company. And then you got the trumpets, and you got the first fruits company again. And then you got the bowls of wrath, you got the first fruits company again. And they're all, it's, it's the seventh chapter, and it's the 14th chapter, and it's the 21st chapter. God's trying to reiterate over and over and over <laughs> that He's doing away with the old and bringing in the new. Hopefully, some of you are living in the new right now. A lot of people are in the old right now. They live there. That's why the Lord talks about. In Galatians, the removal of those elements, those beggarly elements, and people who try to live under those beggarly elements, that's bondage, man. And I'm not talking about the truth, and I'm not talking about the Word of God, and I'm not talking about holiness. Okay? God's going to bring down all these false religious systems, let me put it this way, and all earthly kingdoms, He's going to bring them down. He can be seen as God, and His kingdom will be established, okay? So I'm talking to you while I'm trying to get to Joel 2. Amen. Now, I don't know if any of you saw this the other night on uh, Larry King Live, CNN. I believe it's CNN, Larry King Live. Anyway, Larry King Live. I saw where he got together with religious leaders and talked about the tsunami. What is that all about? <laughs> the shaking of kingdoms. We're not in the tribulation period right now as far as I know. But I'm telling you one thing, you're seeing the shaking of kingdoms right now. And uh, the sad part about it is, he had a new ager on there. He had a, a Buddhist on there possessed by the devil. When, when I, and I saw that Buddhist guy, I, I could tell he was possessed by the devil. I, just, I started rebuking him through the TV. I said, I bind that spirit in the name of Jesus that's speaking out of your voice right now. Possessed by a demon. New Ager guy, you know, talking on there. Then they had a, a Muslim scholar on there. And then they had a Catholic priest. And then they had a, a theologian, so-called theologian, uh, Southwestern uh, uh, Southern Baptist movement. He was on there. Well, at least he said Jesus was the only way. I was praising God for that. But he never one time mentioned anything about what God was doing, how God was shaking the kingdom. See, that's not politically correct. God is shaking kingdoms. 
and, and, I'll, and we'll get there in just a minute. I'm going to show you. What you see happening is just the beginning of birth pains. It's just the beginning. It's, it's really before the birth pains, but it's bringing in the birth pains of the Messiah. Come on, somebody. But see, all those guys, they want to be politically correct, so they call all these religious leaders of our world. What I'm telling you today is the one world religious system is coming together right before your eyes. You are living in the last days. And now's no time to be playing games with God. You need to get ready. You need to get on fire. You need to get full of the Holy Ghost. You see exactly the coming together of the world religion as a result of catastrophic events. There, there's, I'll tell you what, I, I listen to those guys talk. This one guy, this new ager said, well, we need, the reason why we had this rift in the tsunami was because, you know, the rift that's on the inside of man. And if we'll all get in harmony together, we'll affect the creation. You know, because we're linked with Mother Earth. And so if we can just get right and get in harmony together here, then Mother Earth will, you know, won't be so in a rift. <laughs> I'm going, you, you got a spirit in you, man. It's Jesus Christ, he's going to shake it all down, man. So he can bring in, his, bring in a new heavens and a new earth. His kingdom. Let's go to Joel. He's going to have it. It's going to be a decreation that takes place. And in connection with this, see, I don't want to just talk to you about what's happening in political systems and, and religious systems. I don't want to talk to you about what God's doing through the church. Because he's going to use the church as a mighty army to shake the kingdoms of this world. He's going to, his face is going to be seen in the people. And that people, many of them are going to be martyred for him. We saw that last week. People who laid down their life for him are going to shake the kingdoms. It's the people who have a laid down life, which we saw in the fifth seal. And as we go through the book of Revelation, you're going to see these people that are full of fire. Their rispas in the earth. Rispa means a coal of fire. And God takes the coal out from underneath the altar and casts it to the earth in Revelation chapter 8. He's showing you a people that are on fire, that have laid down their lives for Christ, that He's going to use to shake the kingdoms of men. Revelation 8. And we'll see that when we get there. It's a rispa, people. A, you know who rispa is? Rispa was the woman that sat there and saw the hangings of her sons. Okay? And she stayed there and she stayed there and she stayed there until the curse was lifted and the rain came. Her name means a coal of fire. So these people that I'm talking about, a coal of fire people, are a people who've got a revelation of the hanging of Jesus. They've seen the removal of the curse. And they've seen the rain, the Spirit of God. And that's what God is going to use to shake the kingdoms and reveal Himself through in a people. See, He's going to reveal Himself in us. He's going to come in us before He comes for us. So what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to go from the ultimate down to where we live right now. We're moving from the ultimate back. We're moving, moving back from the ultimate to the time of the cross. Now we're moving back up here where we are right now in the power of Pentecost. Okay? <laughs> I 
See, in case you don't know, the Bible says, He which was and is and is to come. It's not just the is to come aspect. Revelation doesn't just teach you that. Revelation teaches he which was, he which is, and he which is to come. But if you get into an ultimate dispensational teaching, they'll say all that revelation, man, there's nothing for us today. Well, I just showed you in Acts chapter 2 that the apostles saw things that Revelation talks about in his day. When Jesus died on the cross, the sun went out. When Jesus died on the cross, he judged the world and cast the prince out in his day. He which was, is, is to come. Let's, if I can get to Joel, man. Hosea, I mean, okay, Joel chapter 2. What God does here is he gives us a picture of an army that's going to go forth. An army. Hello, army. And I believe that there's more than one application to this passage, all right? But here's what he says. He says, Blow you the trumpet in Zion, sound alarm on a holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. A day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds, a thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong. There hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. A fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is the garden of Eden before them, behind them a desolate wilderness. Yea, and nothing shall escape them. The appearance of them as the appearance of horses, and as horsemen, so shall they run. Like the noise of chariots on the tops of mountains shall they leap, like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth. You see that? Like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble. As a strong people set in battle array. Before their face. The people shall be much pained. All faces shall, be, shall gather blackness. It's exactly what happens in the presence of the Lord in his face. We have this blackness taking place there, alright? Verse 7, they shall run like mighty men. They shall climb the wall like men of war. They shall march everyone on his ways. They shall not break their ranks. That's a church in unity. Neither shall one thrust another. They shall walk everyone in his path. And when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. They shall run to and fro in the city. They shall run upon the wall. They shall climb up upon the houses. They shall enter into the windows like a thief. The earth shall quake before them. The heavens shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark. And the stars shall withdraw their shining. Before this mighty army. So God's going to use an army to shake the kingdoms of men. Religious False religious systems and institutions. So what is true of him is also true of his people. Verse 11. The Lord shall utter his voice before his army. For hit before his army. For his camp is very great. For he is strong that executed this word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can abide it? Who can stand? That's exactly what Revelation 6 says. And Revelation 7 gives you the answer. 
you see the 144,000 standing with him on Mount Zion. Raptured beyond the tribulation period. Are you with me here? Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rinse your heart, not your garments. Turn the Lord your God, for he is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and great kindness, and repenteth him. What is this? Let me just jump over here. What is this army going to do when it goes forth? Verse 25. And I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. What this army is going to do is they are going to be a people of restores. They're going to be a people of restoration power. And when they go forth, they're going to restore the years that the canker worm, the palmer worm, the locust, the canker worm hath eaten. And when you talk about those four depictions of, of the locust there, you're talking about false religious systems. The things that, that sent Israel into captivity. The things that sent Israel into captivity in the days of Joel were false prophets, false priests, religious systems. But there's a people that's going to go forth and it's going to turn the world upside down and bring those false systems down. And they are restores. They're going to bring restoration. Does everybody understand what I'm trying to show you here? <laughs> he says in verse 20, I will restore the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm, the caterpillar, and the palm worm, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be ashamed. Are y'all doing all right out there? Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. So if you were to take your time and study this and place this in the death of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, and on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, you'll find out that spiritually he's done it already. But physically it's not yet completed. It is not completed yet, but it will be. And God's going to raise up a people that's going to shake kingdoms. Why? Why, 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 why? So that his face can be seen. So that his face can be revealed. 2 Corinthians, let's go to chapter 4. Are you following where I am right now in that sixth, that sixth seal? The shaking of these, of these uh, things. And I believe literally, yes, but there's spiritual significance to them. But the Bible tells us there that they are crying out, the kings of the earth, etc. Uh, that the mount, rocks and mountains would fall upon them to hide them from the face of him that setteth upon the throne. And from the wrath of God. You see that? So they're, they're trying to hide from his face. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. Where, how much time I got left? That's where we are. Okay. Are y'all loving Jesus this morning? <laughs> Okay, 2 Corinthians 3, um, 4, verse 3. Watch what happens when his face is revealed. You know, you even go back into the days of Egypt. What did God judge? He judged the false gods. He judged frogs. He judged flies. He judged the heavens. He judged the earth. I'm 
trying to show you the symbolism here. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. Let's start with verse 3. Mm -hmm. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, and whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded his light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So when his face is seen, the God of this world that's blinded the eyes is removed. It's taken out of the way. Do you see that? So we're not just talking about his physical face. We're talking about his nature. We're talking about the truth. We're talking about the gospel. We're talking about the glory of God. And that's what's going to bring all the, you know, the false down. The God of this world, he's coming down. So they're trying to hide from his face. Amen. Let's go over to John 12 verse 1. While you're turning there. What I'm going to talk to you about this morning now is when you talk about these last three seals in the book of Revelation, you're talking about when Jesus was in the tomb for three days and three nights. When you go back to the cross. Okay? Take you back to the cross. Then I'm going to show you where it's, how it's going to affect you as a people. This awesome army of God. In John 12... The Bible says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper. Now watch this. Jesus enters into Bethany six days before Passover. Okay? He rides in. Okay, he goes into Bethany on Friday. Saturday, he sits in a house eating a meal. He has to be there in that house because it's on the 10th of Nisan that the lamb is taken into the house. He arrives there six days before Passover. Right? On the 10th day, linked with Passover in the book of Exodus, when God brought down all those false gods, on the 10th day, they separated a lamb for each, each a lamb for a house. Okay? Jesus is fulfilling these teachings of the Passover lamb. He's fulfilling them. Six days before Passover, he rides into Bethany. He has to be in a house on the 10th of Nisan. And so here he is sitting in a house on the 10th of Nisan eating a meal. With me? That's a Saturday. Sunday, he rides into Jerusalem. Watch. 12, verse 2, takes us to uh, the Saturday. There they made him a supper, and Martha served him. But Lazarus, not one of them that sat at the table with him. Okay, then it talks about his anointing there, right? Okay, if you keep reading here, you're going to see that the Lord is going to enter into a, a triumphal entry into Jerusalem, right? 
Watch this, verse 15. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, thy king cometh, sitting on the ass's coat. These things understood not his disciples of the first, but when Jesus glorified, then remember they that these things were written of him, that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that was with him, when he called Lazarus out of his grave, raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. All right, y'all with me up to this point? What we have here is, again, Friday he enters into Bethany. Saturday he's in a house. That's the 10th of Nisan. Sunday he rides into Jerusalem. Monday and Tuesday. Say Monday and Tuesday. That's five days, right? What is the sixth day? Six days before Passover. If Passover, watch. Okay. Friday, rides into Bethany, Saturday on the Sabbath, the 10th of Nisan, in a house as a Passover lamb, eating a meal. Sunday, rides into Jerusalem. Then you have Monday, then you have Tuesday, that's five days. It says that he, he came six days before Passover. So the sixth day is Wednesday, six days before Passover. Passover would be the seventh day. So I'm trying to show you that Jesus died on a Wednesday because Passover was Thursday and the preparation of the Passover, the preparation day would be the sixth day, Wednesday. And that's when Jesus died. That's when they would have killed the lambs. That's called the preparation day. That's when they get rid of all the leaven out of the house because the, the next day, Passover which is a Thursday in this particular time, was when they would observe the Passover. So the sixth day, Wednesday, is when Jesus was crucified on a cross for us. Are you with me? John 19, 31. Let's go there. Are y'all doing okay out there? I'm giving you timing here. I'm not trying to teach you the Passover lamb. I'm giving you timing. It happened in the middle of the week. It happened on the fourth day. The fourth seal is the beginning of the great tribulation period. Then you got the, okay, you got the fifth, sixth, and seventh seal. Jesus dies on the preparation day, Wednesday. He is then in the tomb for three days, three full days and three nights. He's there on Thursday. Okay, with me here? He's there Thursday because the Passover lamb... The preparation of the Passover lamb would have been killed on the 14th of Nisan, Wednesday, late in the afternoon. They take him off the cross late in the afternoon. Are you with me? Place him in the tomb just before the 15th or Passover, which is a Thursday. So he's there for a full day on Thursday. He's there for a full day on uh, Friday. And he's there for a full day on Saturday. And he rises again Saturday evening. Just before the first day of the week begins. Because their, their days begin in evening. So he's in that grave three days and three nights. You with me? When you get to the last three seals then you are depicting and you are showing Christ in the tomb. And his being in the tomb is being in the belly of the great fish. 
Do you understand? Now, I'm, okay, praise the Lord. I know your, your Bible makes it sound like he rose on Sunday, but he didn't. He rose on Saturday. He died on a Wednesday. Did you follow me? John 12, 1, I gave you the time frame. John 12, 1, Bethany, he rides in. That's a Friday. Saturday, he's in a house. Sunday, he rides into Jerusalem. Then you got Monday and Tuesday. That's five days. He says he was there six days before Passover. The sixth day, he dies. The seventh day is Passover. I don't believe that he ate the Passover lamb. Because he is the Passover lamb. He died on the preparation day. He died on the preparation day. Yes, he observed the Passover meal, but it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that he ate a lamb. Why? Because he is the lamb. But it also doesn't say he didn't eat a lamb, which means that he would have, they would have killed a lamb. Um, he as God and he as the high priest could have had his disciples kill a lamb if he wanted to, okay? Outside of the timing of the, of the priest killing of the lambs. I'm, I'm trying to tell you that he died when all the other lambs died. And if he ate the Passover meal, then what, what did he eat? What did he observe? He died before Passover ever came. He died the preparation for the Passover. But he observed a Passover meal. So either he's the fulfillment of that, never ate a lamb at all. Or he had them kill a lamb, being God and the true high priest, bypassing the other high priest timing to kill him. Hallelujah. I don't want to confuse you too much here. What I'm trying to show you is that he died on the sixth day of the week. He died on Wednesday. And I say sixth day of the week, I'm talking about six days from the time he rode into Bethany. Not sixth day of the week. The fourth day of the week. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. But six days from the time he entered into Bethany. Okay? Are y'all with me? They take him off the cross then late Wednesday. Late Wednesday night. Late Wednesday just before Thursday starts in the evening time they have to get him off the cross before Passover starts they put him in the tomb so he's in there a full day Thursday a full day Friday and a full day Saturday he rises just at the dusk of Saturday because when Mary starts making her way to the sepulcher she doesn't come to the sepulcher she starts making her way to the sepulcher and when she gets there he's already risen and she gets there upon the dawning of the first day of the week, which would have been the evening time in their, count, in their time frame. So she gets there upon the dawning of the first day of the week, and he's already risen, which means he rose on a Saturday. Now, I know your Bible says, you, you got to study, man. You got to get in there. You got to look at what the Bible is actually saying to you. He'd already risen. Now, this is new for some of you, praise the Lord. What I'm trying to tell you, he rose on the seventh day of the week. After being in the tomb for three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Matthew 12. And I got about 15 minutes, so I got to hurry. We go to Matthew 12. Watch what he tells us in the same passage. Uh, or I say same passage, same context. Matthew 12. How many of y'all love Jesus today? Yeah. Matthew 12. Verse 38. Then certain of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh for a sign, and there shall no sign be given it, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was 
three days. With me? Fifth seal, sixth seal, seventh seal. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Three days, three full days, and three full nights. That's the way you read it. It's not a part of a day here and a part of a night here and a part of a day here and a part. That's what a lot of scholars will tell you. The Bible says he was in the heart of the earth three full days and three nights. He could not have been crucified on a Friday. How do you get? <laughs> how in the world do you get three days and three nights by crucifying him on a Friday? Friday, Saturday, and you rise on a Sunday morning? You, know, you can't come up with three days and three nights. That's religious tradition. Those are the things God's going to bring down, those lies. They're lies. The point is that when you talk about Jesus' death on the cross on the fourth day, that's the fourth seal. Then the fifth, sixth, and seventh day, he's in the heart of the earth. He's in the tomb. And that's, a, that's called the sign of Jonah. He's in the sea monster's belly. Devoured by Leviathan. Devoured by the sea monster. Which is a type of the Antichrist. Which is a type of the tribulation period. The great tribulation period. Now hang with me here. Now I know this is deep. And I know I'm in America. Where everybody's shallow as they can be. But he's in the sea monster for three days and three nights. He's in the belly of the whale, in the heart of the earth. It lays over here in the book of Revelation. When the earth moves into what's called the three and a half years of the great tribulation period. Revelation 13, go there. Let me try to tie this together and I'm going to have to come to a close. But Revelation 13, watch this. Revelation 13. That's why that fifth seal, when you see the fifth seal open, you see disembodied spirits crying out to God because they have not received a resurrection body yet. Jesus on the fifth day is in the heart of the earth. He has not yet received a resurrection body yet. And the sixth seal, then he's still in the heart of the earth. The seventh seal is in the heart of the earth, but he's coming up in resurrection power on the seventh day, at the end of the seventh day. Okay? Now what I'm saying is this, at the, at the end of the seventh year of the tribulation period, there's going to be a resurrection of his body, the church. And at the end of the kingdom age, the seventh millennium in history, there's going to be another resurrection. It's all, you know, it's all linked to his resurrection on the seventh day. His body is going to be resurrected on the seventh year of the tribulation period, at the end of the seventh year of the tribulation period. And then the kingdom age, at the end of that seventh millennium, there's going to be another resurrection. So it's all laid out in patterns throughout the scripture. What I'm trying to show you is that he came out of the mouth of the beast on the third day. His body is going to come out of the mouth of Leviathan on the third day. Okay? Let's go to Revelation 13. Let me show you this, this Leviathan, this sea creature. Revelation 13, verse 1. I stood upon the sand of the sea, saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads, ten horns. This is what the Old Testament calls Leviathan. 
Upon his horns ten crowns, upon his head's name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, a feet, a feet of a bear, his mouth as the mouth of a lion. His dragon gave him his power, his seat, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads that were wounded to death. His deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. They worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. They worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war the beast? Okay, there was given him a mouth, a mouth, saying a mouth, speaking great things of blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue 42 months. He opened his, say with me, mouth. And blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power is given him over all kindred and tongues. In Revelation 12, we see that out of his mouth comes a flood. What happened when Jonah got swallowed up in the belly of the whale? He was in a flood of water. What happened to Jesus when he died on the cross and then was buried? All of the billows of God came upon him. He was in a flood. What's going to happen to his body in the future? They're going to be symbolically seen as eaten up by Leviathan, the sea monster, taken into their mouth for three years, the latter three years of the tribulation period. Only to be spit out as Jonah was, and only to be spit out as Jesus was, his body is going to be spit out of that flood and out of the mouth of the beast. But his church is seen in the heart of the earth. His body is seen in the heart of the earth just as he was. So I don't know what you're going to do with your pre-tribulation rapture. Because it's not in the book. It's not in there. Because after she gets spit out. Church gets spit out. Revelation 14. Then again you see the 144,000 standing on Mount Zion. You understand what I'm trying to show you here? If you understand this say praise the Lord. That is called the Shepherd of, of Hermes. Hermes. It was written around the 2nd, 3rd century A.D. Okay. It is a record of visions. The fourth vision in the Shepherd of Hermes. It gives a depiction of Leviathan. And Leviathan is seen. On its head. It has the color white. Blood red. Black and gold. And it stated there that that is a type, or that beast is a type of the Great Tribulation period. <laughs> Do you get the point? Now what happened to Jesus when he was crucified on the fourth day? That's the beginning of the Great Tribulation period, in the middle of the Tribulation period. Then what you have there, before that, you got the rider on the white horse, rider on the black horse, rider on the red horse, rider on the pale green horse. The vision that that shepherd of Hermes saw, that Leviathan had a white head, a red head, red in his head, blood red in his head, black, and also gold. It's, this beast is a type of the tribulation, okay, that God is going to destroy. He, Jesus destroyed him at the cross. His body is going to be swallowed up into that beast, but that beast is going to have to spit it out. Jesus is going to destroy him ultimately at the end of the tribulation period. And then ultimately at the end of the kingdom age. Because you got this seven year tribulation period. Resurrection takes place there. Seventh day Jesus rose from the dead. At the end of this seven year, uh, seventh millennium called this thousand year reign of Christ. There's going to be a resurrection that takes place there. And a lot of times when you read the prophets. You're going to, you're going, you read a passage of scripture. 
and I'm going to show you one sometime, not today, but Isaiah 27. You go in that passage of Scripture, and it takes you from the crucifixion of Jesus being caught up in the briars there. It takes you from there all the way to the end of the kingdom age in one passage. So God wants you to know that all, all that's in the future is linked to what he did on the cross. It's an awesome. The word of God is awesome. In fact, in fact, when Moses, the Lord spoke out of the burning bush, that thorn bush was burning, and the glory of God consumed that bush, and God spoke out of it. It is Jewish scholarship says that when the Shekinah appeared in that bush, it appeared with a crown of thorns on his head. And that it's through his death. The one on the cross. That all the kingdoms of Egypt are coming down. All the kingdoms of this world are shaking. They're going to come down. And I'm glad that I'm a part of the kingdom of God. Aren't you glad you know him? Today. How many of y'all love the Lord today? Hallelujah. Do you understand what I'm trying to show you here? I'm not sure what we're going to do tonight. We may take the Lord's Supper. I'm not sure. But I want you to understand something. That when Jesus on that night. I think I said John 19.31. Let me get over there and read that verse to you. When he observed the Passover with his, people, with his disciples. He introduced the, the Lord's Supper. Okay. He made a very interesting statement. He said, when you partake of those emblems of the blood and the body, the bread and body of Christ, the finished work again, he said this, you do show the Lord's death till he come. You do show the Lord's death till he comes. You know what's, what's going to happen in the future? His body David said his body would be eaten like bread. In the future when the, the saints of God are martyred. Die for him. They will show his death to the world. And by showing his death to the world by their death. Many people, multitudes will come out of false systems of religion. Don't listen to the lies of these preachers that are telling you that you're going to escape all of this. They are messed up. They're mixed up. And listen, you're, talking, you're looking at a preacher that preached pre-trib for years, so I know what they believe. Okay? You need, we need to get in the Bible. Let's find out what the Bible says. Which means there might be a, a rolling up of your scroll. <laughs> there might be a shaking of your heaven. There might have to come something new in, by way of your understanding of what's going to happen in the days to come. You have to be willing to change. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what I'm going to preach. But I, I got two or three things I want to go into tonight. But if you'll come tonight, you'll, you'll hear from the Lord. I'm going to tell you. And I'll preach to you, not just teach you. You're going to hear from God. But that is extremely important that you let your heaven be depart as a scroll. 
that wherever you are in your understanding and your revelation of spiritual truth, you have to be willing to see something new. You have to be willing to let the old be changed. Okay? God's in a good God. John 19, 31. I think I gave you that verse. I need to talk to you about it. John 19, 31. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation uh, that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was a high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So Jesus was on the cross in the preparation day. And the Passover had not yet even come. So he died on a Wednesday. Passover was a Thursday. And a high day, Passover is a high day. It's a Sabbath day. It's an annual Sabbath day. We're not, when he talks about the Sabbath here, we're not talking about the Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath. We're talking about the high Sabbath that's connected to the feast of Passover. Okay? Praise the Lord. And that's why a lot of people try to have him crucified on a Friday before the Sabbath day. They don't understand that the the high day that's talking about there, the Sabbath day, is the feast, the beginning. Of the, it's the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the seventh day, and it's Passover. But he was crucified before Passover. Amen. He fulfilled those, 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 uh, f- those feasts. Okay, y'all with me here? How many of y'all love Jesus? Yeah. See, the Bible goes on and says in Corinthians, he says, he is our Passover lamb. Yeah. And he was, he was slain. Nisan 14 on a Wednesday, just before Nisan 15 came in, just before Passover started, he was slain. Rose three days and three nights later out of the belly of the fish, out of Leviathan's mouth on the seventh day, just like his future body will come out of the grave on the seventh year of the tribulation period. At the end of the seventh year of the tribulation period, they're going to come out. There's going to be a resurrection. And it's going to take place at the last trumpet. And the last trumpet, the Bible says, is after the tribulation. That's when he episanagos or gathers his elect. So I'm excited to know the truth. And if we enter into that seven-year tribulation period, that's not the wrath of God. That's not the day of the Lord. That's where most people miss it. Those are all events that precede the day of the Lord. And the second coming. And the gathering of the church out. Aren't you glad you know Jesus? He's an awesome God. How many of y'all glad you know when when he was crucified? How many glad you know when he rose from the dead? I got to do one thing because I know there's a question about this one passage. Let's go to Matthew. And you, sit down just for a minute. Just for a minute, okay? You understand he was, was slain on the preparation day, taken off the cross before Passover came in, right? Chapter 28, verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. The word came there, should not be there. It should be they went. They went in the end of the Sabbath. As it started getting to the end of the Sabbath, they started making their way to the sepulcher. Okay? And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came, rolled back the stone from the door. His countenance like lightning. 
His raiment white as snow, and for fear of him the keepers did shake. Say shake. <laughs> and became as dead. The angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come and see the place where the Lord lay. They started making their journey at the end of the Sabbath. When they get there, he's already risen. You don't have to read into that passage that he rose on a Sunday. He was already risen when they got there. That's, a sev that's the seventh day. Resurrection. Why would God have Jesus rise from the dead on the first day? When all scripture prophetically and typically is laid out in sevens. The first fruits out of the grave, Jesus was. The first fruits out of the grave. When you get to the seventh chapter, you see a first fruits people out of the grave. Standing on Mount Zion. They are the ones who are able to stand. You go seven more chapters, chapter 14. You see a first fruits people, 144,000 with the Lord on Mount Zion. You go seven more chapters. You go to the 21st chapter and you see the city of God, the people of God. The overcomers seen there. So it's all laid out. Why would God change the whole thing? Well, he hasn't. People have. And they read into the Bible what they want. And they take on these glasses and all these so-called theologians, you know, have worn. And they put them on. They say, there it is. No, it's not. You've got to exegete the Bible. You don't eisegete it. You don't read into it what you want. You exegete. You let the Bible tell you what it wants to say. You don't read into the Bible what you wanted to say. You let the Bible tell you what it wants to say. I love you. Let's stand. Next, next Sunday then if the Lord hasn't come and raptured us. Then I'll show you at the end of the tribulation period. The, the sealed people, the people that are sealed, standing on Mount Zion, raptured, resurrected from the dead, post-tribulational. Okay? Post-tribulational. And I'll show you that the latter part of chapter 5 is post-tribulational, chapter 7 is post-tribulational, and we'll get into some of that next week, okay? But the, the answer to the question is, who should be able to stand is these. Revelation 7 people. They made it through the tribulation period. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad you know the Lord? He's awesome. He's awesome. And so as I see all these religious people coming together and I see tsunamis and all these seeing the waves roaring and all that, you know, taking place. Go back, read Luke 21 and there it talks about that, you know. The earthquake and the seeing the waves roaring. I'm going to tell you something. It lets me know that we're on the verge of seeing the heavenly Mashiach, the birth pains of the Messiah about to take place, the tribulation period. That will lead to the second coming of Jesus at the end. And a great resurrection when his people will come out of the mouth of Leviathan. And I got good news for you. When you think about it, you say, oh, I don't know if I want to die. I don't know if I want to go into the tribulation period. You can turn the camera off. I'm done. I don't know if I want to go through that, Pastor. I don't know if you've contemplated the fact that the first resurrection is promised to those who make it through the great tribulation period. Who die at that time. And who survive it. That's who it's promised to. There are multitudes of people in the heart of the earth. Including Job. That won't come out of the earth until after the kingdom age. 
So you may die in that seven-year tribulation period, but to you belongs the first resurrection. And when you look at it that way, it's an honor, it's a privilege to be living in that time. Because everybody don't come out at the same time. There are people that come out at the end of the seven-year tribulation period, then there's people that come out at the end of the seventh millennium. And so, you know, I don't, boy, Lord, I'm almost saying, God, let me live through the tribulation period and die or, or make it through when you rapture us at the end because I don't want to have to wait for a whole thousand years in a grave somewhere until I'm resurrected. <laughs> I, want, I want to get there quick. You understand? How many of y'all love the Lord today? Thank y'all for being in the house of God, hearing the word of the Lord today. I pray you're blessed. Take what I've taught you and go back and study it for yourself to see if it's really in the Bible, okay? You're dismissed in Jesus' name. We'll see you tonight at 5.30 for prayer. 6 o'clock is church. God bless.